Traveling the Vortex. Side trip. Side trip. My name is Sean. This is Star Trek 204, and we will be taking a look back at Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4, and what a season it was. Obviously known for the conclusion of the Borg two-parter, The Best of Both Worlds, the epic, epic cliffhanger that uh, is still ranked among the top uh, pieces of television in history. Um, but uh, season four had a lot of other things that it is known for and should be known for as well. Um, it kind of solidified Star Trek's place in television history, uh, not only among ratings. Uh, it was kind of uh, finally the time frame where the show had hit its stride. It was uh, accepted not only among fans, but among the people, the general populace was watching and uh, it was popular. It was uh, beamed into homes across America and across the world at this point. It uh, was, was doing quite well in that regard. It picked up a theme throughout the fourth season of family. Many of the episodes dealt with the family, not only uh, family members of the crew. We were introduced to Warp's son, Alexander, we uh, meet Picard's extended family. We meet, for the first time, Jack Crusher, Wesley's uh, deceased father. And, uh, of course, then there's also, um, you know, our extended crew. Uh, O'Brien is finally given a first name. And there are, uh, you know, the, the, the family or familiar ties within the crew themselves. Uh, all of this was kind of explored within uh, within this season there's also the kind of ongoing um even though the the, the series uh, well, you know the, the the formula the template as it were um the series kind of sort of began to deal with planting seeds and breadcrumbs for extended story arcs and this was the season where a lot of that kind of began to really take root. And we have a lot of Klingon um, uh, specific uh, stories uh, dealing with the uh, rise of tensions and the, 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 oh, the, the Duras uh, <laughs> situation as it will become to be known leading into the eventual uh, Klingon Civil War. A lot of unrest. And all of that took place here in this season as well. Um, season four, while overall, I, I think season four may not have the same number of individually strong standout episodes that season three has, at least for me personally, but I think consistently, overall, the episodes were stronger 
Um, they're, they're all consistently good. There's a, 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 a far n- fewer number of meh episodes in that batch. Um, they're all watchable. There's not a, really a bad one in the bunch. Uh, and um, it, it's all entertaining. It's all something that you can sit down and enjoy and, uh, and, and, and watch Star Trek and, and really kind of see a group of actors and know that they're kind of in their moment. This, this is really their, their time to shine, as it were. And they're being backed by a, a, a group of production staff, you know, off camera that's also in their moment. They're, they're all, all, uh, all pistons are firing, you know, as it were. The warp core is fully engaged. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff here. So, Continuing with my top five and uh, what I feel are kind of, you know, the best episodes of each season... I'm going to start off with the drumhead. Now this, you know, on the surface it's a courtroom drama. And it's a, a pretty dry one at that. But I admire this one so much for the heaviness that's on display here. It's a witch hunt that ensues on the ship for suspected Romulan spies on board the Enterprise. Uh, Gene Simmons guest stars. Um, you may recognize her as uh, uh, the absolutely wonderful uh, social worker from Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Do you consider yourself funny, Mr. Hilliard? And uh, she's definitely not funny in this episode. She's terrifying. And she manages to deliver a performance that ramrods and runs roughshod over Picard. And that says something. When you have a character that through sheer force of will can trample Jean-Luc Picard, you are dealing with something that is quite extraordinary. And she ropes Worf in on this witch hunt, and what starts off very plausible, very well, that makes sense, turns terrifying. And while it's very obviously a morality play, we're doing the Salem Witch Trials, it's scary how quickly this enlightened society that is supposedly so far advanced from our own, so many light years beyond where we're at today, can slide down this slope into that backwards way of thinking. Despite Picard's objections, despite his, his very um, rational, ethical, um, moral objections to what's going on, and how safe and sane they make it sound, and how easy it is. And that's one of the things I really admire uh, for this. Not only the performances and how everything is delivered, but the, just the, the, sheer, the sheer ease in which they, they, they make all this turn. It truly is a, a very powerful episode to watch. Number four on my list actually is the very next episode, Half a Life. And this one uh, also features a fantastic uh, turn from a guest star, David Ogden Styers. Of course, he's great and everything. 
Um, and another guest star, um, Major Barrett Roddenberry, returns as Loxana Troy. And what makes this one better than just about anything else that I mean, the Waxana episodes are always, you know, they're they're good for a laugh. This one is not such a laugh fest. Waxana finds herself romantically involved with um, well this this uh, this guy, and he is of a certain age, uh, and his race commit suicide once it's kind of Logan's run you get to a certain age and you commit ritualistic suicide you're done which she finds appalling because you know Loxon is very much larger than life and you have so much to live for and you have this and you should run away with me and why would you do that completely discounting the culture and the um but no, this is the way it's done. And this shows, you know, in, in our society it's done because um, we don't wish to be a burden on anyone else. And, uh, we, we, you know, it's, it's done as a tribute. and It's done so that our family has the, the best of us and that they're not burdened with, um, you know, dealing with an invalid or, um, a, you know, a, a drooling Alzheimer's patient or, or something of that regard. And... The episode does a couple of things really well. First of all, it puts forth the suicide argument. And whatever side you personally come down on, um, whether you are for or against an assisted suicide at that age, there is no condemnation. There is no, this is right or this is wrong. And I'm always appreciative when Star Trek can do that, when they can present a, a something in a, a, something of a volatile nature and yet do it in a way that shows that whatever your personal feelings or opinions on that matter are, you may not be wrong. That's always a, 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 a very challenging thing to do as a writer, and they manage to do it, I think. The second thing that they do, which is even more challenging, is to show Loxana Troy in a new light. And I say that because, again, the Loxana episodes tend to be played for laughs. She is such a strong personality that she tends to kind of bowl everybody over when she appears on the ship. And it's meant to be that way. She is a gale force, you know, hurricane wind when she comes on and you have some fun for 40 minutes and then she blows off the ship and there's this collective sigh of relief that well we've done the Loxana episode for the season and we're kind of done with that and instead of that we are given a very personal side to her the defenses are let down and we are shown a side to Waxana that is not what we are used to. It is not what we've experienced before. It is a very soft, vulnerable, different approach to this character. And it is an amazing transformation 
it suddenly makes this woman approachable. It makes you care about her. Uh, you know, if, if you didn't before, it, it, it really flips your approach to it. And while most of the Loxana episodes are Loxana and Troy and their relationship usually as a facet of their relationship in regards to Troy's relationship to Riker or Loxana's relationship with Picard, this suddenly is Loxana's relationship with this other guy. And Troy doesn't really factor into it all that much. It's there, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a big piece of it. And so it's just a completely different facet. And, and Majel Barrett uh, deserves so much credit for coming in and doing something different. It's easy, and, and there are a lot of, and I use, I'm using air quotes here, fans that um, kind of bag on her for her portrayal of Locks on a Troy. And it's easy to do that because of you know, for the same reason that those same fans, I think, bag on Will Wheaton for his portrayal of Wesley Crusher, because that's the way the character is written. And so it's easy to kind of lump the two together and not realize that, well, you, you, you can only do so much with what you're given. But this to me shows that no, 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 there's actually far more here than what we've been given, and you're you're being a little unfair to it. And it was, in fact, this episode that made me, because I was, I, I'll be honest, I was part of that group. I didn't like Loxana a lot as a character. She just didn't appeal to me. But it was this episode that made me go back and reevaluate her. And um, this episode in particular really kind of opened my eyes to that and made me, uh, made me appreciate her far more. Uh, as a character and as an actress, and it's 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 simply fantastic. Number three on my list is family. Now, family is uh, kind of an oddball of the group. It got the lowest ratings of any Star Trek episode ever when it debuted. It is the uh, technical third part of the Borg trilogy of the two-parter. <laughs> in that it deals with the aftermath of the best of both worlds. Um, it is very little to do with Star Trek. There is no B-plot dealing with something science-y. There is no, um, you know, there's no Klingons and phasers and uh, uh, Romulan subplots. There's no, uh, there's no bad guys. There's no... Uh, seeking out strange new worlds. Gene Roddenberry hated the script, as a matter of fact, but yet it was still greenlit by uh, by the powers that be. And yet, it is one of the most powerful episodes of the show and critically is one of the best-regarded episodes. Um, picking up where Best of Both Worlds Part 2 leaves off after the attack and rescue of Captain Picard, Picard goes home. He goes back to France to the vineyard and uh, meets his estranged brother um, to kind of convalesce and regroup. Um, and it's... 
I, perhaps I'm doing this unfairly because I, I, I placed this episode at number three on my list and number two on my list is Best of Both Worlds Part 2. So perhaps I really need to talk about that one since chronologically it comes first. Um, and I think I will, actually. So the Best of Both Worlds Part 2 <laughs> is the the epic continuation of uh, the cliffhanger in uh, which we get the, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Warfire and the very fizzled out nothing happens because Picard was war, uh, you know, he was there. He was part of that plan and the Borg adapted. So it, uh, you know, big epic. We waited months and months and months for what's going to happen and nothing happened. The Borg were ready for us and what the wind sucked out of our sails out was. So then, um, you know, the Enterprise makes some repairs. We're late to the party. We get the Battle of Wolf 359. And the Enterprise shows up and there's nothing left. The entire fleet has been wiped out. Eventually we catch up and Riker manages to pull up some very cool, unorthodox tactics uh, in a distractionary move that allows an away team to beam aboard and kidnap Picard back. And then they use Data to link his positronic brain to Picard and the Borg neural net, which Picard manages to break free just long enough to offer a suggestion where Data plants a suggestion into the neural net into a subroutine that is not important, which causes the board to go into a regenerative mode. There's a power feedback and they blow up just on the verge of getting to Earth. The end. And the episode ends with Picard staring out in the window of space as if he can still hear somebody calling to him. So this episode is good. It's extremely good. It's extremely well done. And it's got many, many, many satisfying moments. Unfortunately, it is the follow-up to Best of Both Worlds Part 1. And there's absolutely nothing you can do that will ever top Mr. Worf fire. There's no coming back from that. There's, there's nothing you could have done to resolve that cliffhanger that would have been as good as the cliffhanger itself. And so there's always going to be a little bit of letdown in, in that regard. Um, so, it, you know, endings are hard. We, we've always joked about that. And that's part of the legacy of this particular um, episode is that it, it's just a hard one to come back from. Having said that, and now moving on to family. Picard, you, you have to kind of understand... Picard as a person is such a dynamic individual. He's highly intelligent. He's reserved and yet emotionally broad of spectrum. He experiences things on a level that I don't think a lot of people do. He has a true zest for life. And he, of all people, because of his admiration for the finer things like Shakespeare 
and exploration. He gets humanity. He genuinely appreciates the highs that humanity can reach. And he chooses not to focus on the lows. And in come the Borg in the best of both worlds. And they kidnap him. And they violate him. They essentially rape him. They mutilate him. They take his essence, everything that he is, everything that he aspires to be, everything that he will become. They take his future and strip him down to nothing. His loyalty to Starfleet is gone. He gives up all the secrets, including Riker's plan to blast them. The command codes to, you know, the, the, the fleet internet's gone. They've got that. The battle plans that will defend the fleet, gone. They use him as a tool to defeat these other ships, other captains, friends of his, including the Admiral on the Melbourne at Wolf 359. He is responsible for the deaths of 11,000 of Starfleet's finest. His fault. Yes, it's a Borg-cutting laser that did it, but it was all on his say-so. Yes, he was a puppet, an unwitting, an unwilling participant, but Picard will never see it that way. How can he forgive himself of that? So they strip his past from him. They take his present, because he's not on the Enterprise. He is on this cube. This, you know, his, his very identity is gone. He's no longer on the flagship of the Federation. He's on this unidentifiable, faceless, expressionless box. There's no, there's no art. There's no beauty. There's no celebration of anything. You know, it's just, it's, it's just Borg. It's a box of circuitry. And then they take his future because there's no hope. There is no tomorrow for Captain Jean-Luc Picard anymore. There is only Locutus. Resistance is futile. And the impact of that you, you, you cannot do a, a, a serialized TV show and give us that and then come back the next week with a, well, this week we're going on an archaeological dig and this is going to, you know, you know what I mean? There, there had to be fallout from that. And so wisely, despite the drop in ratings, we got family and Picard goes home to deal with that. He goes home to be sullen and depressed and... And, um, you know, get verbally berated by his brother and um, get, get his butt kicked and roll around in the dirt. He needed that. He needed that as a character. We needed that, whether we will acknowledge it or not. I think we needed that as an audience. 
and uh, and that I think is the true genius of family, is that we needed to collectively catch our breaths after the emotional fallout of the end of that episode. And uh, especially after a three-month hiatus waiting to come back for it. And so, um, yeah, even, even though there's a, a large portion of fandom that didn't like it, I think critics are right in this instance. I think, I think it's a, uh, an important episode that had to, it had to happen. And in many ways, it's difficult to judge these, these three entities separately, even though they spread across two different seasons and three different episodes. It's realistically all one story. Um, and I think it's almost a bit of a cheat that when they released The Best of Both Worlds on DVD, that they didn't include family. It's an epilogue. You needed to be there as part of the story to really kind of appreciate the goings-on. And yeah, there's a B-plot where we're introduced to, uh, of course, human adoptive parents, and uh, we get to meet um, a holographic uh, Jack Crusher through a letter to Wesley. And if there's a failing to family, while those beats are good, it should have just focused on Picard. But, you know, the powers that be are the powers that be. All right, number one, the best episode of season four, is the last episode of season four, Redemption Part One. This sets up the Klingon Civil War. Now, the war itself has actually been brewing for a while now and goes back to uh, things that happened the previous season and uh, things that happened this season with the uh, disenfranchisement of Worf and the uh, ascension of Gowron to the position of High Chancellor, and the Duras family, and the plot to um, basically make Worf, um, you know, <laughs> incommunicado. And it all comes to a head with the Duras uh, sisters, Ursula and Bator, and they have enough support uh, within the council to cause a, cause a split, to cause a rift that uh, these people are willing to follow them and not Gowron. And Worf resigns his commission to go and help fight in that war. And you have to be a uh, almost a Klingon aficionado at this point, I think, to, to really appreciate this. And I'll be honest, the first time through, I wasn't. I was kind of done with Klingons. At this point, we, we'd gotten such an overload on Worf and Klingon backstory. While it was exciting, it was also kind of like, man, some of these other characters. I mean, we, we, we only get one Geordi episode a season. Um, what's going on with everybody else? Why, why do we continue to get Worf stuff? And it's because, you know, obviously, Worf has a whole empire of backstory attached to him that we can't explore there, there, there is some ripe drama there, and I wasn't quite ready for it originally. And I, what a fool I was! I know better now. Um, and it, it, it takes a little bit of uh, forethought to to plan that and and see it through. And I'm so glad that um, you know I did. There's also a um, crazy 
crazy setup in this one that <laughs> harks back to something back in uh, season three that comes to fruition later, but uh, I, I will get into that later. Um, so yeah, this this uh, it's a powerful season. Now, some honorable mentions, uh, which the season is 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 ripe with. Um, well, where to start? Legacy. Uh, I think Legacy is a great one. We are introduced to Tasha Yar's sister. Um, who on a side note is just absolutely stunning. But uh, it was it was a, a very great episode to kind of go back to her home world and kind of see the state of things and what she came from and the, the legacy that uh, the sister felt like she had to live up to. Uh, Cupid, our Q episode, once again played for laughs, but so many laughs uh, doing a Robin Hood shtick uh, was so much fun. Reunion, bringing Kalar back, which is the, uh, the the episode that really kind of sets up um, redemption and introduces us to Alexander Worf's son. So much uh, uh, real heavy lifting is, is there. Uh, the host is one that I, I think is frequently overlooked, um, where Dr. Crusher falls in love with a diplomat who is then injured, um, and it's a trill. And so uh, the trill, of course, have the symbiote on the inside, and they're put into other bodies, and so they have to put them in a new body, and Dr. Crusher has to come to grips with this, this, new, this new symbiote body. And it's one of those that at the time when the series came out felt very daring. And looking at it now 20 years later, it is so frustratingly dated. It feels so, wow, really? We were not enlightened at all. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's an interesting one because... Uh, as with the Ferengi and how they evolved, I think this is kind of a fun one to look at how the Trill were initially conceptualized and how they've changed, especially in regards to uh, Deep Space Nine. And then uh, just a personal choice is First Contact, uh, in which Riker is given cosmetic surgery in order to blend in with the natives, and it goes badly. It is a hoot. This episode is an absolute blast from start to finish because it's kind of an example of everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Uh, and he has to, you know, seduce his way out of a hospital and <laughs> you've got B.B. Newworth. I've always wanted to make love to an alien. There, yeah, there's so much winning going on in this episode. But again, it's another one of those examples of Picard seeing the beauty of humanity, even though we're not dealing with humanity. Um, it's just a, I think it's a very great episode. And I think it's another one that maybe humanity uh, fandom doesn't, um, doesn't always look real favorably on for some reason. So... Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in season four. Now, um, one little bit of feedback that had come in, it had been requested that uh, maybe it's not a bad idea for me to, in addition to telling you all about Star Trek, for me to tell you where you can watch Star Trek. Um, and that's certainly not a bad idea, obviously. Um, although uh, I, I, I question the value of it in, in some regards. Um, obviously, 
check your local listings is kind of the, the first and foremost rule of thumb. Um, right now, you know, my, my go-to answer would always be the library. Your local library is going to be your best resource for just about anything. And right now, I imagine, um, you know, if your area is like ours, the local library is closed, as with so much of uh, the rest of the country at the moment. But um, failing that, uh, the beauty of Star Trek is that it is so universal. It is um, also universally streaming uh, at last check. And, of course, you have to take this with a grain of salt because I'm not sure when you are listening to this. But at last check, it was available on Netflix. It was available on Amazon. It was available on um, just about every streaming platform out there in some form or another. So if you subscribe to any of the big, uh, with the exception of Disney, obviously, because it's not Disney, but if you subscribe to any of the big streaming platforms, um, likely you can get Star Trek. You can also find it on H&I, uh, which is a wonderful um, a retro television station. Again, check your local listings to see. You can uh, discover that one on uh, both cable and over-the-air uh, antennas. Um, and it's also, um, you know, obviously DVD, uh, Blu-rays are available. And, um, yeah, Star Trek's kind of all over the place. The, the exceptions to that rule are the new series. Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard are exclusively on CBS All Access. So you have to pay for CBS All Access in order to get those. Everything else is out there. It's kind of like the X-Files. The truth is out there. Star Trek is out there. Um, so, um, yeah, just a little bit of uh, uh, research on your end. Just Google it and, uh, and see what you can find. But check those local listings. You should be able to find it just about anywhere. I think that'll wrap it up uh, for this one, and we will return with a uh, another side trip for uh, Star Trek Season 5 uh, for the next generation. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this and continue to enjoy these. Um, and obviously, if you have any questions or feedback uh, or want to pick my... Uh, pick my brain about anything in particular, please, please, please feel free to do so. And you can do that over on the Traveling the Vortex side. It's feedback at travelingthevortex.com. Uh, and just address it to Sean. Uh, you can send it in through the website or, or whatnot or what have you. Um, and many of you know me. Um, you know, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook and uh, Twitter and all those. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to send it to me there as well. Until next time, wishing you all the best, stay safe, live long and prosper. <laughs>